Hi, and welcome to Talking with Painters, where Australian painters talk about their lives and art. I'm Maria Stolger, and I'm coming to you today from Wajak country in Western Australia. I've been in beautiful Perth for a few days, and I'm actually going to be visiting on and off for the next few months for family reasons, and I've already seen some fabulous art over here on the West Coast. But as many of you know, my main task at the moment is getting the YouTube channel fully updated. I am actually getting there and I'm so excited to have over 10,500 subscribers with nearly 1.5 million views of videos of my podcast guests. So thank you to everybody who has subscribed or watched the YouTube channel. But if you haven't yet explored it, there's a link in the show notes. It's totally free to subscribe and I haven't monetized it, so it's ad-free too. But so I don't leave you in silence on the podcast, I'm bringing you a second series of gems from past episodes. It's called Inspiration from the Archives, and it's a collection of clips which have inspired me to want to rush to the studio and pick up a brush. And the first in this series is the topic of colour. And I have to say, it was very difficult to narrow it down to a few guests. I'm sure I've missed some excellent clips, but with nearly 150 guests, it's it's very hard to sift through them all. So the artists you're going to hear from in this episode are Joe Bertini, Paul Newton, Philip Wolfhagen, Nicholas Harding, John Wolseley and Peter O'Doherty. So I'm starting off with the only woman in this episode, Joe Bertini, who I interviewed in her Sydney studio in 2021. Joe spent 10 years working as an expedition artist with Australian Desert Expeditions, which involved walking through the desert for weeks at a time. And here we talk about her colourful paintings of that arid landscape. We're looking at these magnificent paintings around you at the moment, which are in progress, and they are just, you know... uh, you know, filled with pinks and blues and orange and yellow, any any colour you can think of. So when I, you know, I went on online, I was watching videos of those expeditions and I've got to tell you, they're not very colourful landscapes. You know the funny thing? <laughs> it's so funny because I'd, I'd be sitting out in the dunes and the southern desert is white. So the Simpson Desert is very red in the north, that beautiful iron oxide, that red. Yeah. And then it, it bleeds out as you head towards Lake Eyre and the salt lakes. And as you get further south, the desert goes from that beautiful, rich, rich oxide red to this sort of apricot pink colour, this shell pink, this... and beautiful umbers and sepias and then it goes to white desert so you can we will be walking around the salt lakes in the south and it's white and it's I would look at it and be freezing in winter it's often freezing you get this arctic wind coming up through the center of Australia and I'd often be walking thinking it's snow and ice because it's so white and it isn't snow and ice it's sand and salt but it feels and looks like snow and ice and I'd sit and paint and a scientist or someone who'd come and sit and say, do you mind if I watch what you're doing? And I'd, you know, that's fine. And I'd be painting. And they'd be looking at what I'm painting. And they'd be looking out and going, <laughs> where is that? <laughs> and it's like, it comes through, you know, it's, it's kind of what I was saying before. It's how I see. Mm. And I don't, I see it. Mm. But no, they don't seem to see it. And I know it's not. A, a true representation in the sense of a realistic representation, but it is my representation. And it seems 
obvious to me. Like I'll pick up the pink in the salt around the edge and I just, it comes in off my brush as, I don't know whether it's a dynamic kind of energy or, or it's a part of the spectrum that I'm seeing, but I, I just pick up on the love of that colour that I see inherent in that landscape. Mm. And I suppose expressionism is a type of exaggeration in a sense or drama that you build into the work because you can see it. The same as you were saying about the instinctive drawing, mm. it's a process and it comes through the process. I don't like to say that, you know, you're a medium or that artists in some way, we're not, it's not being a conduit or a medium in a, a kind of a spiritual sense. It's more that you're, you have a, um, a prism with which you, and it's multidimensional and it's multi experiential and emotional and that prism is you and so the the work obviously comes through your vision and your way of seeing through then the process of your recording to be whatever it's whatever it is because of your personality This next clip is from my conversation with the great portraitist Paul Newton. Anyone who's tried to paint the flesh tones of the face in a realistic way will know that it's a lifetime pursuit and Paul was incredibly generous with his knowledge in this respect and this clip is just a fraction of what he told me about colour on that day. So if you're at all interested in this topic, go to the link in the show notes and listen to my two-part episode with Paul and also keep a lookout for my video where he shows me his palette as he's describing his thinking on colour. And um, what about in the shadows? Like, what do you use earth colours? Yeah, I, I mean, I tend to use um, a reasonable number of earth colours generally. Like, this one over here is Venetian red. Um, Venetian red is, well, as you can see, in and of itself is a quite almost a terracotta, darker, earthy, um, but still relatively vibrant warm red really it it is red but a very earthy red Mm. but when you mix it with a bit of white it takes on this this different character a very pink almost bluey pink Mm. color and it's interesting each color that you use from the tube will have its own reaction to white and black or any other color that you care to mix with it and and sometimes you'll get a very different effect when you use the color transparently compared with the same colour used as a mixture, say, with white. So burnt sienna is a great colour for glazing and for doing underpainting. It's it's so rich and and colourful as an earth colour. But you mix it with white and you get a very, almost an orange, um, milky orange colour. It just reacts so differently under different circumstances. And you can take advantage of those qualities of the paint when you're painting so if, if i'm glazing an area for instance i'll use a, a color which is um uh, consistent with glazing it, you know some colors are too opaque and and you you dilute them and they don't really work as a, as a glazing color but burnt sienna and ultramarine blue are colors that are perfect for that approach yeah and would that be mainly in the shadows that you would be doing glazing yeah or uh, yes more often than not because the paint tends to be thinner in the shadows the the general rule of thumb is to paint thinner in the shadows and then thicker heavier paint in the the lit areas so for example when i painted hugh and deb for the archibald 
what they're they're wearing essentially black or, or close to black outfits. So, and I tend not to use I use black as a neutralizing color, but I never use it as an actual color in the painting. So, to mimic black or the effect of black, I would use the ultramarine and burnt sienna, which is something that Robert Hannaford put me onto. Oh. Okay, who is the yeah. master of, of uh, uh, painting. He certainly is. Yes, he's incredible. Yeah. So, but what's beautiful about that combination is that you can you can balance um, your black and make it warmer or cooler depending on which color predominates. So, in a in a thin glazed area um, on a dark uh, piece of clothing for example, maybe a sleeve or trousers or a jacket, whatever it might be, the very thinnest, darkest areas tend to be warm. So I would put a little more of the burnt sienna in that mix. Uh, but they need the blue because it's, it's the ultramarine blue to balance it and also to darken it. So it's, it's a combination of the two. And then as it gets lighter, um, I would tend to add just a tincture of white and kind of grading that up to an area which captures the most light, effectively a highlight on a dark area of, a, of the clothing. And what then happens is you get this lovely juxtaposition of the glazed area, or not it's not actually glazed, just thinner paint, which is transparent, somewhat transparent, and the area where you've mixed white, which is a bit more opaque, and that combination of the opaque and transparent is really, uh, I think, really a beautiful combination, and it really shows up in a tangible way because of the different texture and thickness of paint that variation between the shadow and lit side of the form in the case of a black object like clothing mm. so i used that when i was painting hugh and deb's portrait uh so you, that's oh, a good that's example so interesting this next clip is from the fabulous Tasmanian landscape painter Philip Wolfhagen, who I interviewed in 2019. He generously shared his insights into colour mixing. And if you'd like to hear more from Philip on this topic, just go to the link in the show notes for the full conversation. You know that uh, those people who work in the paint shop uh, and you bring in a colour and you ask them to match it, I mean, that's... That's a real skill. Oh, yeah. And I've always admired that. And I think uh, perhaps if, if all thing, things go badly for me, I could do that <laughs> down at Bunnings. <laughs> well, you know, that's interesting because I remember doing a colour course once where it was just the primaries and black and white. Mm-hmm. And we were given a colour, a swatch, and you had to make it out of that. Mm-hmm. And I was absolutely gobsmacked that you could do it. Yes, you'd be better off without the black, in my opinion. Really? Yes, yeah, and the black um, is just unnecessary. If you use transparent colours, if your primaries are perfectly transparent, no body colour, they intermix uh, infinitely. And, um, I mean, the black that I use is just three primaries, and I, I mix it in advance. You know, often um, I mix it once for the year and I put it into, you know, refillable tubes and I know exactly what's in that black and I know if I need to tweak it um, a little this way or that way on the spectrum um, it's really easy to do that by just adding a little more of ultramarine or alizarin or um, cobalt yellow which Mm. is the only yellow I use. Oh right. Which is just the most marvellous colour because it uh, acts as a secative it dries dries other colours. It dries on the palette in a few hours actually. 
Oh, right. Whereas a lot of oils, you know, seem never to dry. <laughs> That's right. It'll be there forever. Yeah. Oh, so that will assist in the drying time mm. for if you've added that to another mm, colour. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. Right. And raw umber has a similar effect. Yeah, yeah. And do you, but I've heard you don't use many earth colours. Uh, well, I was thinking about that this morning, actually, in advance of this conversation. Um, I only, you can really draw the line at the horizon for me. Above that, you're talking about light and atmosphere, and that's all spectral for me. What do you mean by spectral? Well, the colours of the spectrum, mm. the light spectrum. Um, uh, Sir Isaac Newton gave seven colours just simply because it fitted the musical octave, which uh, was a bit of an obsession through the, through the Enlightenment period and the Romantic period, actually. But uh, so, yeah, really, there's only three colours and a few and the secondaries in between mm. um, that you could call spectral. And when, once you get into the landscape, then I really do need a green, um, green and uh, umbers and burnt sienna and, you know, all those uh, iron oxides are indispensable to me then. Right. But, um, well, you can, I can do it. I can do it with just with, um, with the, the paired back primaries and um but it's a cold it's a colder looking effect oh okay and uh and not only that actually uh, most of all it's time consuming i just spend all day mixing trying to mix a color mm. uh, and mm. in the end you just get frustrated and then why am i doing this when you know i can use a thalo green for instance and add uh, which is a very very powerful green yes and it, you know you only need a pinprick of that to a tablespoon of raw umber and you get a beautiful green and mars violet is also critical to my palette in the in in when i'm dealing with landscape elements trees and bushes that are dark somber greens and is that through experimentation that you've come to those yes conclusions? Oh, absolutely absolutely i mean i i didn't consider myself a colorist uh, at all and i didn't have any confidence with colour. So my earliest paintings were really, really minimal and kind of idiosyncratic colours. I just used raw umber, um, green earth and burnt sienna and cobalt blue and that's about it oh, really? you know, for those early uh, big cloudscapes from the early 90s when I was in Sydney. And, um, yes, I, I, I haven't really mapped the trajectory of my, my palette, but... Um, Yes, I've been working in the way that I am now for, for, a long, for a long time. I interviewed Nicholas Harding shortly after he won the Win Prize last year with that knockout painting Eora, a masterpiece of Tangle of the Australian Bush, part of a body of work which he will always be remembered for. You can also see this clip as a video on the YouTube channel and there's a link in the show notes. You must have a green on your palette. Do you have a green on your palette? Oh, I have, I have three. So I've, oh, okay. I've got, I should know four. So I've got chrome oxide, um, which is like a very um, bush green. And then you've got um, permanent sap green, which is a very black green. And then there's a sap green. Um, and then there's a very intense green, um, which is called something like green, Holland, old Holland green light. Oh, okay. That's interesting that you use a whole lot of different greens. Well, then, then you can mix them with the... So I use a dox and violet. Yeah. But then if you mix that, you know, that in with the, the permanent sap green, 
you get this amazingly rich, almost black, but it's not black because it's got all those those elements of colour mm. in it. Mm. Um, so so there, are, there are many different types of black. I mean, I use a vine, principally a vine or an ivory black, but there are blacks you can mix that have uh, more depth because, you know, there's, there's just more going on. So, so I, ha- I have those various colours laid out, but there's a way of putting them together that creates a variety and, a, and an immense range of possibilities. And, and then I'm, I'm, I have things I've experienced before and, and so I know what they're going to do, but then there are ways of putting things together I haven't tried before to try and solve a new problem, which is important as well. Well, I suppose that's part of the challenge, always pushing yourself as Yeah, well. exactly, exactly. And there's always another thing to sort of drive your curiosity to, to give you a bit of a thrill. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I spoke with the master watercolourist John Woolsley in 2018, and here he talks about how he mixes his glorious greys in watercolour. I mix up different kinds of watercolour, different colours, some of them are what I think are, are called bista. It's it's a it's a beautiful variations of different kinds of grey. Um, technically, quite often something like carmine, uh, viridian, so bright red, bright green, and perhaps a little touch of yellow. When you mix that up, it makes a Mm grey. But unlike a grey mixed up by putting black with water, this grey sometimes has a bluish sheen or a different kind of uh, amazingly Mm. delicious cool colour or warm colour or greeny or something, something, something. And a a lot of the best paintings, when you actually look at it, are, are... different kinds of warm and cool grey and then when you then have a wash which is a bit more colour in the colour is sings and lastly I'll leave you with the wonderful painter and musician Peter O'Doherty who I spoke with in 2018 and again in 2020 here we talk about his beautiful apartment block paintings but was it hard getting the shadow? Because I'm looking at these shadows that are reflect. You've got shadows going onto the blinds that have pulled down behind the windows, mm. and there's a different colour for each shadow because it's being it's reflecting on a different coloured surface. So that's slightly, quite, yeah. That's that's that I'm would actually, be quite I'm actually, tricky. I'm, well, I'm actually colourblind too. No, I am. So I, I, you know, to to a fair fairly high degree that I mean, I can see that they're all totally different. I can get most of the I could name most of the colours, but. There's a few areas where I will think something is um, green and yeah. it'll be grey. Where Susan, this morning she said, I was looking at something and she said, that's, I said, that's an aqua green. And she said, no, no, that's a grey. It's not, not aqua green at all. And then she put another colour here. This is aqua green here. Right. And I looked at the two of them and I thought, oh, they're so similar. Aren't they both aqua green? <laughs> but I see that the, so I, see one's, I see one's darker than the other, you know, yeah, so I see tones. Yeah. But there's, there's areas where from lilacs to to greens, to pinks, where I can get, if they're all done in a fairly similar kind of tonal area, yeah. I have a lot of trouble naming it. Okay. A lot of trouble. Well, the other thing that... Um, so I make a bad teacher. <laughs> <laughs> I 
yeah. Well, um, the, te- the students will probably get used to you, you know, when you say lilac. Well, you're they'd actually they'd be correcting me all the time. <laughs> I hope you enjoyed this episode. Don't forget, you can connect with me on Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, and YouTube. I also have a monthly newsletter, which you can subscribe to through the link in the show notes. Thanks for listening, and I hope you can join me for the next episode of Talking with Painters.